Judy Carter, and this is the Power of Purpose podcast, where we explore how to live a purposeful life and how creative people like yourself can make a living doing what you love doing. And my four guests have just done that, making a living from making people laugh. Welcome, everybody. I want to introduce all four of you. Brandon Brody is in the room. Hi, Brandon. Hello, what's up, Judy? How you doing? Oh, great. I mean, it's so great to see what you've done. Brandon has appeared on We Got Next, numerous BET shows, including, including 106 and Park, and produced the first season of True TV's Laugh Tracks, and he's currently host Crashlets on Nickelodeon. Awesome. I would have been nicer to you if I knew you did so. Oh, that. yeah. No, oh. I wanted to see how you really were, Judy. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't give you anything. Okay. Oh, and also we have... Uh, Zenab Johnson, who's an, a comedian and an actress, and you might all have seen her as a semifinalist on NBC's Last Comic Standing, and she is a season regular on one of my favorite new shows, uh, Amazon's Upload. You have to see it. Hi, welcome. Hi. So to have you here. And Frankie French, who... Uh, just you got to read this article in the advocate about her which was awesome it says why by comedian frankie french won nbc stand-up competition and she sure did she's a bi woman of color based in los angeles and she's such a presence in the comedy world she's performed at the friggin kennedy center and the hollywood improv and the comedy store and <laughs> whenever they reopen thank you so much for being here Frankie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And if you want diversity, you have to, you have to book Taran Von Gastry because he is Black, Persian, Muslim, and Jewish. He says he has street smarts and he's educa educated. He has a double undergrad degree in politics and communications, and he has a law degree and he's a comedian, and he describes his style as a mix of Dave Chappelle meets Maz Jobrani, who was one of my students. That was actually Variety who described that. Listen, here's the thing. Variety. If you got my master's in economics, it's Tehran Von Gosri, and follow me at I am Tehran. I'm always branding. So just get that part out now. Well, that's the first <laughs> thing we learn is like always brand yourself. Uh, Tehran, when, I mean, you got a law degree, how, how happy were your parents when you went, I'm going to go into comedy? Uh, my, parents were, my parents were not upset at me simply because I did uh, do it on my own terms. And the person who was the most upset at me was the bank because I still owe them money. So they were <laughs> like, are you sure about this comedy thing? Like they call me every, every, every day just making sure. So. Well, let me ask Brandon, when did you know that your purpose in life was to make people laugh? Um, I think it was when I, there was a teacher that kind of told me, he, he took me under the wing and said, like, you know, you don't have to be getting in trouble for what you're doing. Like, you can, you can harness this and, and apply it to things that I hadn't been introduced to. So acting, theater, hosting, and, and those types of things, like doing the morning announcements. So it was in high school, really, when I, when I realized, like, okay, I, if I just control, you know, when I want to do comedy and, and do it towards something productive, you know, I, I can actually be successful. And, or do you know do something in that in that regard? And Zenab, did you have a moment um, when you were a kid where you knew that this was your purpose in life? 
No, no. Um, I started doing comedy nine years ago. And the first day that I did comedy was the day that I realized I was going to do comedy. Um, I wish I had known, though, because like Tehran, I would have not wasted money on school. Um, <laughs> um, I, when was it? Where was it? Um, I, I can't remember where exactly it was, but I do remember being at the comedy store in L.A. quite often. And I found myself watching who I consider to be pretty funny people, but like rewriting their stuff in my head or understanding why something went well or didn't go well. I think I found myself kind of like analyzing it and breaking it apart. And then I think from there, I just thought to give it a try. Oh, that is, that is great. And when you gave it a try, did it take a while for you to go like, this is my purpose. This is what I am. No, no, it was almost instant actually. Um, I, this is going to sound a little bit arrogant, but I think that I could probably be good at most things. Um, but the first time I did stand up, it just felt different than anything else. And I really thought I was going to fail, to be honest with you. I thought it was going to go um, horribly and I would just not ever speak about it, you know. Um, but it was my first, my very first open mic. It was pretty good. And I was like, oh, I think maybe I can do this. And then a friend of mine reassured me. She's like, how many times I got to tell you you funny? And that, that was it. I have to be <laughs> honest. I want to disagree with Zaina, but I can't. She's very good. Like, not only does she have <laughs> a naturally beautiful voice, she has a very important voice when she gets on stage. It's a voice uh, that needs to be heard. And I, I actually feel that way about everyone on the panel, to be very honest. Frankie, Zainab, and Brandon, if, you knew, if you've ever seen their comedy, you realize how important and necessary their voices are. Yes, well, and, and Frankie. Thanks, Tara. I want to ask you, I mean, you're so honest about um, your sexuality and you just come on stage and, and tell it like it is. When, how did you get that, that kind of courage to do that? Um, being a black woman in America just kind of gives you the courage to do most things. But, um, I was not a funny kid. I have six sisters and two brothers, and they used to snap on me all the time. And I was very awkward, and it was always uncomfortable. I never had good comebacks. And if I did, it would be days later, and I'd try to slide them in, and then they would get me for like having a comeback too many, you know, too late. So I was not a funny kid at all. So I think I just wanted revenge against them. And when my sister, who's an actress or was an actress, her, at the time, her manager wanted her to expand her skill set and suggested she take a stand-up class. And she asked me to do it with her. And I was like, okay, sure. She never signed up. I spent my money and I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to do this. And exactly the way Zainab described, the first time I got on stage and got that big laugh, like the first time I ever touched the stage, I got this big laugh and that was it. There is literally nothing else like it. And now it's just at a whole other level. So, What other level are you talking about? Well, there, there's a place, I'm, I think everyone can attest to this, that you get to in comedy, and it's not about how long you've been doing it, but when you just have these zen moments when you're on stage, where it's like the, the, your jokes are kind of flowing through you more than you saying them, and everything is clicking, and the whole room is just this one entity and this one energy, and everything is just like we're all together. It's like a dance, and it's incredible. You can't recreate it anywhere else. And, you know, and, that, and that's, you don't get that when you first start, you know, you have to build that muscle and tap into that energy. But yeah, when you get 
there, that's it's just dope. It's dope. Every and you know everything is just perfect, exactly right. Like that's just a very special place. Thank you for for sharing that. Yes, those moments are awesome. I I want to talk about how now the Black Lives Matter um, and how it's how you feel it's going to affect comedy. I mean, it's so hard. The uh, comedy clubs, most of them are are closed. I hear some are opening, um, but I, I'm not sure how successful that's going to be. But how how do you feel like? like can you talk a little bit about? Because I know a lot of my listeners don't know what it means, the white clubs, the black clubs, the difference, um, and, and how, how this movement is going to affect comedy, or is it going to affect comedy? Go ahead. Anybody wants to start, please. I, I mean, I, 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 Turan? not only is it only going to affect comedy, but it's going to be because comedy comes from a place of realness. That's where the best comedy comes from. Sure, good comedy makes you laugh, but great comedy makes you think. And what really great comics do on stage is they tell their truths. That wall, that barrier that we all have is completely down. Uh, and the further it goes down, the better of a comedian you are. If you don't think it affects comedy, just watch Dave Chappelle's last comedy special, which is much more of a TED Talk. And, and so many people were gravitated towards it because that's who modern day comedians are. They're just philosophers. Who has, who has made you think of politics more than, uh, or race more than comedians? Dave Chappelle, Jon Stewart, Wanda Sykes. These are all simply comics. Trevor Noah is a comic. Stephen Colbert is a comic. They are simply stand-up comedians. And that's the place that stand-up will always be. And especially as a, uh, a stand-up person of color and a black stand-up person, I will always speak my truth. And that truth now more than ever includes Black Lives Matter. And yeah, I agree with Tehran. I, I, yeah. no, go, go ahead. I'll say that. Go ahead. Um, I, honestly, I wish that I were as optimistic as Tehran. I did, he, I did watch 846 by Dave Chappelle, and I think that that is something that's celebrated because he's Dave Chappelle. Um, I think that, I mean, I'm very interested in seeing how Black Lives Matter affects comedy in the same way that we're seeing how it affects corporations and television shows, which it's not. They're sending us a mass email saying, we see you, we care, we want to know, but what does that mean? I don't think that that is going to integrate um, club nights. I don't think that that is going to create more opportunities for people of color and black people specifically, and even more specifically black women. I don't, and I, and I don't think that to speak about while they are all great comedians, John Stewart, Dave Chappelle, Wanda Sykes, and, and um, uh, Trevor Noah, that is not the majority of comedians are really struggling right now, especially the comedians of color, because their entire livelihood has been taken away by a pandemic. Those are the comedians that were making little spot money. You know what I'm saying? The comedians that I, I go on a row. I'm not sure about everybody else on the panel. They can speak to that. But I am one of the few um, headlining black female comedians um, and headlining uh mainstream clubs, I should say. And when I look on the calendars, there are so many white comedians that I have never heard of in my life. Headlining. But every black comedian, yeah, headlining across the country, but every black comedian 
that is on that is this being booked in these same rooms they have major credits i'm i'm going i'm i'm going to be in a club after roy with junior you know what roy has to do roy's amazing roy could have came out with 846 but it wouldn't have been as celebrated but you know how much roy had to do to get where he is so i i mean i'm i hope that it's exactly what saran is saying but i don't see i don't see that and i don't see i mean black lives matter has been in and um, it's been happening for what, like two, it's been, it's been a hashtag, it's been a movement for uh, about years. three years now, right? Oh, Thank you. So what about now will change? Yeah. Well, it's I, almost the way I look at it right now, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's really telling on yourself. You know, if, you're, if we're trying to step into this new day and age and we're not booking more black comedians, we're not booking more that that aren't the, the the most popular black comedians we're doing almost like what you're saying Zana, as far as booking these white comedians that nobody's ever fucking heard of you know and now we're getting these these other these other uh, up-and-comers that's going to be the tell if they're not doing that then you're obviously not trying to do something for the movement because that's the way that you can help that's the way that you can contribute you know there's 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 multiple ways if that's your business and your business is not run by black people then you need to open up and maybe you need to hire some someone to 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 help you into that community, you know, so that they can then book more uh, uh, black comedians across the board that aren't these these Roywood juniors that are having to work their asses off just for that spot. I, I hate to be like to go here, but and I hear you, I'm um, Brandon. Um, but you know, when I see on national television and all throughout my social media and the entire country, even people like a Rush Limbaugh or somebody can agree that, oh, to kill a man, to kneel on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, for everybody to agree that that was horrific. And then for the next day to, for a cop to shoot an, another unarmed black man, for that not to change that scenario, I don't think that co comedy is so far down the line. In, in terms of correcting things. And it is not on us. It, I, I've been hearing all these discussions about what needs to change at the top so that representation is had, right? And two things happen for me. I don't need you to be of certain gender or color for me to recognize that you're talented. But for some people, they don't care if you're talented. They only care what box you check right? The other thing is, I always hear people say, well, we need to hire more people of color behind the scenes, running shows, being writers, so that they can then hire people. But the irony is that, of that is that you can have a white showrunner running a black show, but you never see a black showrunner running a white show. So I'm just saying it's so mm. far down the line. It's, 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 it's like we're, we've, we've actually even entered this conversation at the wrong starting place. What would be the right starting place for this conversation? We gotta, um, we gotta rip this whole world apart and then build it back. <laughs> I don't mean to sound, I don't mean to sound crazy, but like I, I don't know the exact solution. But I know that, I know that booking in a comedy club is is so far down on and it's something that we can't even speak of because we're not just living in we're not just living in a time where um there's a movement called black lives matter where it seems like there's not that just black people want it but it seems like we're having this like influx of allyship but we're we're in the middle of a pandemic 
So it's, it's, it's real hypothetical to say, this is going to be the result of this when there's actually no way, shape or form we could even live in that reality yet. Yes. Times, times are very uncertain. Frankie, how do you feel about this? I feel a lot of ways. I mean, I, I think that where, where stand-up and comedy will be once this is all over in terms of the pandemic, I don't think Black Lives Matter is ever going to end. Um, but once the pandemic is over, where comedy will be, I think it is far down the line. Um, at the same time, I know for myself, when the pandemic started, uh, I was actually uh, pregnant. Um, nobody knew that. And I was waiting until I passed my first trimester to make any sort of announcements. And Congratulations. Then, oh, no, I lost the baby. So, uh, yeah, it's okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, wait for the punchline, Zainab. Uh, Zainab. No, way to jump. Oh, How my did God. You? The reads I read. It's, <laughs> it's, okay. <laughs> it's okay now. I'm, I'm way, way okay now. But okay, my, okay. I'm saying that to say that when all of this happened, I couldn't physically go out and put my body on the line and protest because I had a, a compromised immune system. And then, you know, once I lost the baby, I had to heal from that. So I'm just now in a space where I'm physically okay to leave my house. That said, what I was able to do was actually speak out about exactly this um, in terms of, and I know that it's so far down on the totem pole, why even think about it? But for me, for me in my specific instance, I couldn't really be effective in any other way. I was producing shows and donating money. That was one, another thing that I was able to do. But I could also speak up for my people in terms of the comedy clubs because they were all silent. And that, that bothered me because at the very start of the pandemic, I was doing free uh, shows for a lot of these clubs that I'd worked in to help them raise money for, the, for them and their staff, right? And so when this, this global issue is happening and everyone's awakening and people are, are finally realizing and waking up and speaking out, and yes, Black people have dealt with this our entire lives, so it's a little tiring to see people now going, oh, I finally get it. It's like, really? But that aside, people are seeming to, starting, to start getting it and watching these places that we've all given so much to, um, you know, kind of just glaze over or completely ignore what's going on didn't sit well with me. So, you know, I did start that conversation in the DMV, in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And I'm now actually working with a group of comedians to, comedians to build a consortium to work towards changing the way things that are done and to create, and not just in comedy clubs, but within entertainment. That's the, the initial local goal that we plan to take um, nationally. So, I, I mean, with me personally, I, I not only do I appreciate what Zainab said and Frankie said, I really actually, uh, thinking about and digesting what Zainab said, I agree with her. I'm just, as she pointed out, more optimistic because to me, the most three dangerous words ever uttered are we the people. And, the people are slowly, in my opinion, getting it. Now, whether it's fake or not, 20% of the people on the protests actually care. 20% are there because they have a friend there. And 10% are there, um, 10 are there because they kind of just want to see what was going on. The other 50% basically wanted an excuse to get out of their house. But there's, a, there's that extra, I'm your friend and so I care factor that wasn't there what I think before. And the fact that, for example, at the Laugh Factory, we shut down um, I, I was able to help organize amongst two black uh, women-led organizations. Uh, we shut down from Crescent Heights all the way to Fairfax, major intersection in Sunset, and brought out almost 10,000 people over a period of two different protests and raised so much money. That's something that's new. That's not something that I saw 
the first time around. I've used my platform personally as a person, and I think people on this on this panel can even attest. I've used my ability and platform to allow as many people of color um, and give as much stage time to black performers as possible. And there is that element. There is that element, 100% of, of bookers. Uh, this is the dirty secret of comedy. And Zainab hit it on the head with white showrunners running black shows, but no black showrunner running white shows. That happens at comedy clubs all the time. That's something that white comedians, it never even affects them for them to even think of it. They never have to deal with uh, a, a J whatever his last name is, they don't have to deal with that. And we all do. We have to be black enough, black enough, we still are true to ourselves, but sometimes wide enough where you have to play that game. But luckily, our generation of comedians aren't playing those games the same way at all. Right, right. I, I, I do, I, and I, yeah, I do too. And I think that that's fantastic. I wish I knew about this, these protests that you had. Because I would have- dope. Yeah. Oh, man. So I would say that your home club, Tehran, is the Laugh Factory, right? It is. It is. And the Laugh Factory right now has Chocolate Sunday, right? It does. And so I think years. like a, yeah, so I think like a bare minimum question that, um, you know, Judy would just like a parallel to her question is, when we come out of this, will the Laugh Factory have more than one quote unquote Chocolate Sunday? And do you think they will? So the Laugh Factory, to be very fair, has oftentimes tried to have, quote unquote, more than one chocolate Sunday. But chocolate Sunday is a strong niche. Buki has a very strong hold on that. We've actually tried to have other nights that are, quote unquote, black oriented. But then um, people like myself, I have two nights a week at the Laugh Factory and I put on people of of all colors on a night that's a mainstream night. This isn't chocolate Sunday or chicken Monday or a waffles Tuesday. This is, this is laugh factory. Yeah. And I have four black comedians on my lineup. What regular, the audience is there and I push that and I do that personally. And I know the laugh factory for the most part, especially Jamie Masada has been supportive. Now there are other elements that have been at the Laugh Factory um, that thankfully are not there as, uh, uh, for long periods of time that are against that. However, I, as Tehran, I will always do my part regardless. And I stand for that, especially when the Laugh Factory was so instrument, as instrumental, not only in my career, but the reason Judy didn't ask, actually ask me how I got into comedy, I was in law school. I had other things on my, on my mind. I was going to go in a different direction. And because of uh, some circumstances that happened to me, um, I, I had to look at another one. And I saw a comedian on TV one day named Mikey Winfield, who I think all of us on the oh. panel know. Mikey. Mm -hmm. I saw Mikey Winfield on a show he used to have on this channel called Fuse. Fuse. Yeah. And he was a light-skinned black guy who kind of looked like me, favored me with the fro, and he was doing comedy and introducing uh, music videos. And I literally saw him and at, at an age, I was like 22, I wasn't a kid. I looked at him and I said, nine years ago, I was like, if he can do this, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And that was literally how I got into comedy, was seeing someone as a grown-up. I wasn't 12, I wasn't six, I wasn't 15. I was a grown-up with three, four degrees and saw someone who looked like me and thought, if they can do it, I can do it. And that's why representation is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I'll do my part every single step of the way and every single chance I can get. Let me ask you guys, there's um, a lot of people who are listening to this 
who are comics or wannabe comics and writers and uh, an assortment of cre creatives. And I know a lot of you have to perform in red states um, where perhaps the thinking isn't as progressive as places like New York and California. And what advice would you give to the person who's going like, well, if I'm really myself, and if I really speak the truth, they don't like me. So do you change your act if you're, if you're in, no. um, you know, no. a, a red state? Do you, do you soften it? Do you, like, 100%. what advice can you give? Let's start, Frankie, you start, what, what can you, advice can you give to the peop people to speak the truth? If anything, for me, I lean into myself even more when I'm in those states because you're going to learn, like you're going to you're going to see and you're going to feel it. And the bottom line is, re regardless of what club you're in, the thing that makes comedy work is being open and bare and who you are, the most genuine version of who you are, right? A, a caricature of that ver genuine version. If you're not being real and true and truthful to yourself, the, the audience isn't going to connect with it ever, regardless of what the subject matter is and regardless of who they are. So my advice is be who you are at all times. You know, as long as you're safe and the, the club is going to make sure you're safe and ensure your safety. I've only had one issue one time. I have a joke about police brutality actually long before, you know, recent events. And um, the- What's the, the joke? Oh, it's a very long joke. There's, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, this, White, older white man came up to me after the show and I was actually in New York. I wasn't in a, a red state. I was in New York and he came up to me to explain to me why it would be funnier if the cop in my joke was black. And I didn't even have to say anything. Yamanika actually jumped in immediately and got him together. And the club owner came up and also said, you know, sir, she, she's a professional comedian. She doesn't need you to come and explain her joke to her how to do it better. So make sure you're safe whenever, wherever you are. And be yourself. And be that person self. was Judd Apatow. How crazy is that? <laughs> How crazy is that story? A lot of people don't know. It was. Were you there, Tehran? No. Uh, Yamanika <laughs> told me, so. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, how crazy. A lot of people don't know that part. I was um, recently, a, a, little bit, a little while before the pandemic, actually, in February, I headlined a comedy club in Arizona and I did a joke about um, reproductive rights, women's reproductive rights. And I walked half the room. Um, and I mean, I mean, when I say I walked half the room, I mean, I, I walked a good 125 people and I, um, I was only about 15 minutes into an hour set. So I had to um, stay on stage and I had to double down on, I guess my perspective, but it was, it was very uncomfortable, but more than it was uncomfortable, it was so disappointing because it made me realize that people, don't even have their ears tuned to listen. Can you tell you us know? what the joke was? I, I, I don't want to just because it takes a little time out of context. It's even right. more inflammatory than in context. <laughs> okay. um, but also it's just a bit that I'm working on. So hopefully, you know, you know, I'd rather people see it when it's, I understand. I, it just, yeah. But 
I, that was a very hard night for, for me, for the club, you know, for everybody, even the people who were sometimes audiences at a comedy club, how you feel is not how the person you came with felt. And I had to watch people also make a decision. Like, is this something, um, is this something that I want to do? And I will, you know, is this something that I want to stay for? Like, will my coworkers judge me if I stay when they leave? And on top of that, 99% of the room were white, you know, and it it was really curious to ask you the next night. Did you do the joke again? Absolutely. Yes. I did the, I did the joke the next show. We had a seven 30 show and a nine 30 show. And I did the joke the next show. That's how I know Judy doesn't know Zainab because none of us <laughs> needed to ask. <laughs> Actually, she might. I was thinking that the next show, she only did that joke. <laughs> that oh, was, the that next the show. The, that was the name of the special, basically. That's like, exactly what happened. I opened. I opened the show. It was yeah. the first thing that I said. Yeah, Double down. The joke. Yeah. Oh, did you mention yeah. something about the audience leaving in the other show? After they laughed, I was like, well, let me tell y'all what y'all people did before you. <laughs> Baptist church bus just so so Judy Judy to reiterate your your question was you know do you curtail your act for various for different audiences that like aren't as progressive is that kind of what yes the question is yeah um I I wouldn't I'm I'm just along with like with Frankie and Zainab but you know you got to lean into it because again if like Tehran said you know comedians were, were philosophers were modern day activists and you have to use your platform to sneak in that lesson. These people aren't going to learn your lesson if you're not being true to yourself. They're going to be learning someone else's lesson. If you're trying to actually give them that knowledge from experience, from your life, from all that, and deliver it in a truthful way, you have to be yourself. If you're being somebody else, it's a fucking character that gave them that, you know? So the only way that I'm going to be able to feel comfortable in my own skin and, and giving somebody a message, if, if I am being myself, if they don't like it, if they walk out, so be it, because that means that we're just not, meant to be aligned and their views i might not like either however i think that if your message is super dope you're going to have people that are going to sit in that audience and you're going to turn them you're going to change them you know it's not going to be the by the masses uh, every time but you know that one person might say yo check this person out hey that spreads into the, those people now like kind of you, you're developing this following of people that you've changed their mind about something um i agree actually i i wish i could agree i could uh, be on board with uh, what Zainab and Frankie and and Brody said, but I'm gonna have to be very honest and say yes, I do change my act, and I'll express how I change it. Um, first of all, if I'm in a red state and I see that the audience is all white, I I'm I'm a person who is very much in the hip hop culture, so I tend to use the N word, and when I see the crowd is all white, I do not use the N word because I don't like giving them the empowerment that it's okay for them to use that word. I don't give them that satisfaction at all. So that's one way I change my act. Second of all, I don't tend to curse as much in general, except if it's for effect. In general, even in my regular demeanor and speech. Uh, However, in, in those situations, I don't do that. However, I do, for example, I will make more politically charged jokes uh, that I'm th- than usual, and I will refrain from ever doing anything. I don't tend to make fun of. I have fun with people in in general. Once again, but I will refrain from anything about black women. I won't speak on that. I won't make a joke on that. I could tell my. I don't like giving them that permission that it's okay. And I also travel a lot out of the country. And when I'm out of the country, I'm very aware of cultural norms in places that I've been. Uh, I travel to the Middle East quite a bit. I'll do a lot of European shows. And especially in the Middle East, there are certain regulatory um, codes and also just 
cultural norms that I'm very much aware of. I did an entire uh, month and a half of shows every single night, bringing um, uh, amazing comedians from the, from the United States for the Laugh Factory in Saudi Arabia last year. I was in Saudi Arabia for a year, not my first time, by the way, and I did comedy every single night. So my comedy was not specifically different, but it was very respectful of their cultural norms. And I do that often. Brandon has been to Abu, uh, has been to Dubai. Dubai. Zainab yeah. has been to Abu Dhabi for shows that um that I've been. What's that part like of production. doing? What's that like doing shows? I I would assume they don't drink. <laughs> in Dubai right. they drink. They Dubai drink. Is, is the Vegas of the Middle East. They yeah. definitely drink. I was I was detoxing and somebody bought me a shot and I was like, well, how am I gonna detox in Dubai? And I got lit. And, but yeah. Yeah. Brandon and Zainab drink. killed. By the way, they were definitely fan favorites in both of those countries yeah, i think you'll be around for that yeah yeah yes me too it was my first time in abu dhabi um i actually did at the end of last year i did a um all-female muslim tour that was called wallahi she's funny um and that was in a lot of different we did texas we did north carolina we did chicago we did um we did a bunch of states um or cities and there, there was no drinking. They were very traditional Muslims who just happened to, you know, be, you know, probably first generation Muslims in the United States. There was definitely no drinking. It was, uh, most of them, it was their first comedy show. And what was very different for them was not just the comedy show, but also seeing women doing stand-up. That's and, my next question, because in some of these countries, women cover themselves completely. So, did you have to, if you're in Saudi Arabia, did you cover yourself while on stage? Let me speak I, on that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> let I, me speak I, on, let I, me mansplain <laughs> this right now. No. I, I've never been to um, Saudi Arabia. I did not cover myself in um, Abu Dhabi, but I do remember being asked to do another Muslim tour that was supposed to tour through the Middle East and a stipulation for the women were, was to wear hijab. And I told the producer that I couldn't do it. And I only reason why I couldn't do it was because I felt like I would be lying. I felt like that's more insulting. I, I felt like it's more interesting and funny to hear why I don't than to pretend mm. for the sake of someone else's, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm respectful of cultures and things like that I don't have to change language because my language I'm proud of the language I use and the stories I tell everywhere so I don't have I don't have to change that but I don't also want to I, I can't be a liar I think that's what I love about stand-up so much is I really get to explore what is truthful for me and it, at any moment if somebody is asking me to lie through that for any reason it's very difficult for me I, I, I performed in Dubai and Oman, and I was so scared of telling people I was Jewish. Right? <laughs> Just to let you know, they don't care. I wish more people understood. They didn't. It's not they the people. Didn't. My name is Tehran, and at the time I was in Saudi Arabia, it was the height of the conflict between Iran and Saudi Arabia. They had billboard, and I'm clearly, uh, I, I have my name everywhere. It's no secret that I am Tehran. <laughs> My name for them was it was a Make America Great Again hat. Yeah. I had basically, I had, no, but I had billboards. I had uh, huge signs, billboards that were like Tehran performing. 
everywhere. And everyone was very much aware of my cultural heritage and who I was, and they loved it and they loved me. And that's what you realize is that all around the world, there are always gonna be good and bad people and hopefully the good outweigh the bad and that good people will always show love and bad people will always find a way to hate. Wow, that's such great, that's such great advice. I, I love if each one of you could give advice to that listener who's listening and is scared to death to say on stage that they're gay or to really talk about difficult things. And, and they're just, they're just scared. They, they want to please people. And, and what advice could, could you give to them to give them the courage to get out there and really speak the tea? Yeah, I, I think we're all waiting for Frankie. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Even though Judy sounded like she was afraid to say gay, now she was like, "Yeah, I was like, gay. I didn't know we all became gay comics just through this conversation." Yeah. <laughs> it spreads, it spreads through the internet. Um, uh, but I mean, it was it was never a thing for me. I was never in the closet, so I can't really relate to that. Uh, I have always just been someone, I just live my life the way that is best for me. And I've never answered questions for people. I never explained my sexuality. The only time that I did is now as an adult, as a comedian, when I decided, oh, you know what, that's actually something I could start talking about on stage. I had a conversation with my daughter about it because I never, you know, officially came out to her and she only knows me to be married to her dad. So I wanted to sit down and I guess technically come out to her and she could care less. You know, she's just like, oh, okay. That's what you wanted to tell me? I thought you were sick or something. I'm like, no, I just, I didn't know how you feel. She's like, I don't care. Um, you know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And that was the end of the conversation because she comes to my shows sometimes. You know, especially if I'm doing a woman empowered show, I like to have her come and see women, especially if it's a black woman centric show. I love for her to be kind of in that moment with me. So I didn't want to ever have her come to a show and then find something out about me so deeply personal you know so i mean what kind of advice be who you are anyone that truly loves you you know and cares about you they're going to respect who you are as long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else people should respect and love you for who you are i had to cut you know very close family members out of my life for different reasons for not being able to accept me you know in different ways and you can't please everybody that's not that's an impossible goal you'll never please everyone so you may as well be true to yourself, be true to your heart, and, 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 and be who you are. I love that. Give up trying to please people. It's, yeah, it's you're, gonna just, you're just going to fail. Well, that's the best comedians, right? Is the co comedians who give up trying to please people, whether yes. it's, uh, whether it's uh, Dave Chappelle or even a Bill Burr or Zainab. It's people who just stop trying to please people, and they just are so true to themselves that you recognize it immediately and people are drawn to sincerity. The same thing happens in music. You can have a pop song that's, that's theoretically really good, but until you really actually feel the pain or anguish from the artist, you don't believe it. Hip hop is very much that way. We, it, everyone can talk about being a gangster, but unless you're a real gangster, we don't believe you. Similar to uh, R&B, unless you're going through it real, Usher's album, when he was going through it, that was, his, uh, that was his best album. We believe that album. You know what I'm saying? We believe that I love that. That stand-up is really based on pain. And, and, and we heal ourselves by just getting it out and, and being authentic about it. Yeah. I, think, I, I, I do think that intentions matter. 
I do think that um, some some things are said simply for provocateur, um, but I do think that most audiences and most comedians can tell when there's um, authenticity versus. I'm, I'm going to say this to make you guys uncomfortable. I'm going to say this because I think it's funny. You know, I, I, I just think that intentions matter. And I think that if your intentions are pure and your intentions stem from, I am only trying to be vulnerable and share my story and my experience in the most humorous and authentic way, then I think, I, I, I think that's, I think that's the way into a long career of being a good comic you know and I think people who are different from you and even may have different views from you most times can walk away like I'm glad that that person shared with me shared with me that perspective although that is still not my perspective you know but I think that when you come from a place of I'm going to say this for shock or I'm going to say this because it sounds good or you know you know you know I think that people can kind of read that uh read that it's disingenuine and I don't think that it services a lot of us. Right. So rather than shock what you're saying is take your vulnerability, make it funny and share. Yeah, I, and yeah, I think that, that like, place. I think that, like I found that my jokes were like, they, there was, they began writing themselves when I wrote from a place of vulnerability. When I would try to produce a set and like literally write to like, maybe there's some headlines or maybe there's just something going on. I was writing to the opinion of the letter of the, 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 the the edit the, the whatever i read it was i was writing almost to the opinion of that article because that's the information that i had you know so when i'm going on stage i'm already i'm already coming with an opinion you know based on, on what that is and it it wasn't really i'm not really getting deeper meaningful connections with people but when i'm giving like true vulnerabilities even as outlandish as it may sound there's always somebody where i'll try a new joke i'm like man i, I can't believe i'm about to say this on stage i'm about to share this and then somebody comes and they'll say like yo that one about this, like that shit really connected. That was like, you know, that really spoke to me. And that means more than making like, like sometimes, you know, a whole room laugh over something that's not really, that doesn't have much substance. Like we all know how to say a dick joke to make someone laugh, you know? But it doesn't really, it doesn't really, it doesn't excite me, you know? It doesn't excite us to just say, to not, we, we want people, we want to go on stage. I think like, and this is why Judy, like, you know, I, I said Tehran, Zainab and Frankie, because these are higher level thinking comedians. These are the these are comedians that are always trying to put a message in their standup. They're not just looking for the easy chuckle. They're looking for the chuckle, but they also want to give you a message. And for me, again, the it, the jokes wrote themselves. They began writing themselves when I come from a true place of vulnerability. And you have to just and I had to just accept. And it's okay for me to have my opinions. I'm a person that I do try to please everyone. I am. I that is in my nature. But when I'm on stage and I stand stronger with an opinion, it allows me to, to speak from complete truth. Even if there is shock, I can then combat that with something that then will change their opinion about something. You I know? only speak from shock. All laughs matter. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to thank you all. I love that what you said, Brandon. Stand strong. You should ask with, Frankie. With Frankie opinion. needs to, I'm telling you, that's one of the most truthful comedians out there is Frankie. I'm uncomfortably truthful. <laughs> it's, it's, well, I, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, when you do write from truth, just to add on to what you said, Brandon, I agree. Um, also, though, for me, and I, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but when I write a joke from truth and I'm on the stage and in that moment and in the mix, it's because it's so truthful and it is a belief that I have inside of me. 
like new jokes pop in, you know, and your riff becomes beyond, you know what I mean? Like your riff flow is just, it's crazy because it's like when you're having a conversation and you're telling your opinion, that's basically what you're doing when you're telling your jokes. You're just wrapping them in some candy so people can swallow that pill a little bit better. Yeah, that's And I've seen all y'all do that too. I've seen all y'all riff and then it becomes a part of your set. I've literally seen all Oh yeah, all it's do a great that. way to write material. Yeah. I wanna thank my, my guests. And I just want to thank you so much for giving such great advice and talking so honestly, because if you're listening, you've got to see these people's acts because they will not only make you, um, you know, give you an asthma attack from laughing so hard. They are truly brilliantly funny, but at the same time, they're all inspiring because they're really speaking from a, a, a deeper truth that you can learn from. So in the description of this podcast, I'm putting there a way to uh, a link so you can see their Instagram and you can connect with them and, and watch them because they're all truly inspiring. Thank you all to Rand, Zainab, Frankie, and Brandon. Tehran, Tehran. We're going to get Tehran. that. Tehran, Tehran, did I say Thank you, Tehran. What did I say? Tehran. Yeah. There we Tehran. go. Say Tehran. it again, Tehran. Judy, Judy, you need to close your eyes. Tehran. Okay, Zainab. Tehran. 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 Okay. Thank you. Anyway, thank it's you so much. For... <laughs> thank you, Judy. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Judy, thank you. Take care. For your special gift, go to themessageofyou.com. That's themessageofyou.com and get your free one-year subscription to the Message of You University, which is full of lessons to help you find your message and turn it into a book, a TED Talk, or a paid speaking career. That's themessageofyou.com.